Okay guys, welcome back. We are so excited. We have a very, very special guest today. Um, so stick around and we are so glad you're here on Sundays at 7. special guest today. Um, we want you to welcome Mike, Mike McCormick. McCormick. <laughs> For uh, those of you who don't know, Mike McCormick is actually the lead pastor at Calvary Christian Church, the church that Kate and I both, number one, grew up in, number two, lead a sophomore group in. Oh, that's cool. So It's cool when you yeah, say that like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really exciting. We're so glad to have him here. Um, he actually also just wrote a book, so we definitely want to tap into that and kind of... Shout out. Yeah, kind of figure out what's going on there, and he can tell us about that a little bit. Um, but first, right off the bat, we need you to tell us about yourself. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the most uh, stereotypical college yeah. question. We're in an interview. Tell yeah. us about yourself. Right, about yourself. Right, right, right. Our viewers, our, our listeners need to know about you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this is really cool to have you all here, and... Uh, I appreciate that you came to my office. This is like we are in Mike's oh, yeah, office. This is our this is our first time on the road. Oh, it's on, on the, the road, road show. Road tour. Yeah, road tour. <laughs> Sundays at seven, and uh, it's not seven or. It's Sunday. actually Thursday yeah. at eight fifty yeah, p.m. But, hey, we're, we're doing it. Uh, no, I am uh, super thankful for you all, and um, it's about myself. Gosh, you know, uh, I'm suddenly feeling old. I'm 42 years old now. That's not old. That's I, well, old. it's just I, re I feel like yesterday I was, you know, 20-something, and I'm not. And somehow there's 20 years between me and the 20-something. I'm not sure how that happened. <laughs> uh, but as I look at uh, my gray hair and my four kids, I realize I must Aww. be getting older. Um, but no, it's... It's good. I'm thankful because God got a hold of my life at a early age. Um, when I was about nine years old, my um, brother, Mark, got sick and actually ended up being leukemia. And he passed away. And wow. so, yeah. It, I did not know that. You didn't know that? No, I've never heard that. Yeah, that um, was a very defining moment for me. And for my entire family, we all kind of handled that a little bit differently. Um, but for me, I started thinking about things like, you know, I don't know why uh, my brother's gone and I'm here. Mm -hmm. But whatever time I have, I'm going to use it for something that is meaningful and that matters and that lasts for eternity. So God kind of got a hold of my life real early and set me on a path to essentially like a journey of figuring out, so what does that mean? What does that look like for me to make the most with the time that I have? And mm. um, I never, I didn't like grow up thinking, oh, I want to be a pastor. That'll be really cool. Um, uh, in fact, I, I wasn't all that impressed with most of the pastors that I knew. They, they didn't seem like a very fun, uh, life or, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, the mental image I had in my mind of that, what wasn't, uh, something that I identified with, but, but I did, uh, end up meeting a pastor that I could kind of relate to. And I remember thinking, I think I, I think I could do that. And there was a time I went, uh, like you all do, you take the youth on a trip 
and I went on a youth trip and uh, coming off of that as a teenager, I really just sensed God saying that for my career, he wanted me to use my life for him. And so that kind of set me on the, on the ministry track, went up getting, a, went to college, got a communication degree and then went to seminary and mm-hmm. Yeah, that was 20 years ago. So 20 years of ministry and 20 years of marriage and raising kids. And wow. And you moved here from Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go Steelers. Go Steelers. Thank you. Wow, that was awesome. <laughs> Steeler Nation. Yeah. Um, uh, just, just, just this week, I just saw A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Mr. Rogers' movie, Tom Hanks Plays, and it's located in Pittsburgh. Oh, um, so I've I, always wanted to go. I've never been. It is super cool there, and a, a great vibe, very neighborhood and family oriented. So that show really kind of depicts the family value and mm-hmm. just uh, you know kind of blue collar um, network of of community, fabric of a community kind of feel there. Cool. Um, so yeah, and in some ways, where we are here in Kentucky has a similar community and family vibe to it. It's a, a little bit of a different. Uh, more agriculture farming we're just talking mm-hmm. about farming yes. um, but uh, but those things are, are true so I, I think there is I, I just say that because I think growing up and part of my DNA as a person is a very uh, you know neighborhood community family mm-hmm. kind of feel to it and, mm-hmm. and so that still resonates for me now that I'm having my own family and mm-hmm. trying to work in a community and make it better you know yeah. That's right. What's been your uh, favorite thing about Kentucky since you've moved here? Um, so Kentucky, well, I, I the two things that I knew about Kentucky, which I knew I would like, is uh, I got accustomed to in, at Asbury when I was in college here. First was ale eight, so I started mm-hmm. drinking ale eight. Winchester. Mm-hmm. Winchester pride there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I. I played basketball in high school, um, not in college, but I, I wanted to help the guys in college uh, do well in, on basketball. And one of the guys, our point guard, was unable to keep his grades up, so I offered to become the basketball team's tutor to help my friend wow. Mud. His name was Mud, Tony Johnson Mud. Uh, stay eligible because he was a great point guard and he would pay me in AL8. He, he would give me AL8s to it. drink in exchange for <laughs> my... That's funny. Uh, That's the best reward. Yeah, right? how about it? Mm-hmm. And then when I was interviewing at Calvary and I came to the uh, church, I looked in the window, the doors were locked, but I saw an AL8 machine all lit up a bright light like it was the Shekinah glory in the in the uh, <laughs> hallway so I knew that uh, you're like this, that is this, this is it this is it I need to be at this church yeah that and, and, that and basketball I, I love basketball <laughs> so uh, college basketball there's not a not a better place to be than Kentucky for, right. oh, for March sure. Madness and Kentucky basketball so uh, yeah th- those are those are the the uh, best things here about Kentucky yeah Good. What's your favorite thing about Kentucky, Kayton? Ooh. Also, can I tell you really quick, my brother does not like when I call you. Shout out to my brother, TG. He's been wanting a shout out ever since he started. Shout out. <laughs> but he does not like when I call you Kayton. He says it's Kayton. Kayton. I like that one the He best. says it's Kayton. And I'm like, no, it's Kayton. I always like, said Kayton. That's what I, because whenever you tell people, you say K and then 10. Yeah, K and the number 10. Honestly, I don't even know what it is. So my parents kind of really playing out a hard life for me because I don't even know <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce my own name so you can call me Kayton and you can call me Kayton and Kayton. so uh, the other day me? I was like um I was like yeah well me and Kayton he was like who 
And I was like, Kaden, come on, <laughs> come Kayton. on. Kaden. He's like, oh yeah, I know her. Kayton, Kayton. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's ridiculous. Um, My favorite thing about Kentucky? Yes. Born and raised. Mm-hmm. And I think. Um, my favorite thing about Kentucky is that whole born and raised thing. There's something about, um, uh, kind of like what you're talking about Pittsburgh, I think is yeah. kind of the same here in Kentucky is that family atmosphere. And there's like a sense of pride in Kentucky. Like when you are born and raised here, like mm-hmm. it's like you bleed blue, you know, you love horses. It's just like in your bones, in your blood. And yeah. that's really special, I think. And not a lot of, I don't know, places have that. And when you're born and raised in Kentucky, it's like. Mm-hmm. And when I went on a, I went on a long mission trip and I had a team of girls with me and they were all like talking about how I was so proud to be from Kentucky and they're like, we would go places and people would be like, where are you from? They'd be like, she's from Kentucky. Cause I always talked about it. Kentucky. So, yeah. That's yes. funny. Um, well, last week on the podcast, we talked about chapter two of Letters to the Church by Francis Chan, which is keeping things sacred and how sometimes things that are sacred, is, that's kind of like a lost thing these days a lot of times we don't know you know how to keep those things sacred um and so we've moved into chapter three this week which is called the order and that's why we decided to have mike on the podcast because it talks a lot about the church and the leadership and um right off the bat uh, one of the first paragraphs it talks about commands versus expectations and it says something really cool in the book it says it's imperative as a church that we differentiate between desiring what we want or what God commands. Mm. And I think it, I mean, when it talks about, it, it says people expect um, things like a really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style, volume, length of singing, all of these things. But it says, what does God command? And he gives us a list and it says, love one another like I have loved you, John fifteen twelve. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction, James 1, 27. Make disciples of all nations, bear one, another, bear one another's burdens. And there's such a, there's a disconnect there the things that we view and the things that we can like the you know the stage and all of the elements that come with a Sunday morning things that we can detach ourselves from but mm-hmm. like you can't detach yourself from what God commands us mm-hmm. and i think it's there's a huge difference there i love that next the next line when he says then he asks like his his church leadership like what would upset people more if the church didn't provide the things from the first list that Caitlin just said or if mm. the church didn't obey the commands in the second list mm. and so what is your like opinion on that as a as a church leader yeah that's a tough one I, as you're reading that I'm thinking about one of my in my first year here at, uh, at Calvary I uh, an older gentleman who's since passed away he came into my office and he he was kind of challenging me on some of these issues and I, I really didn't give him much uh, credibility initially. I just thought it was uh, someone who maybe was wanting us to go back to an old way of doing things that he was more comfortable with. But he, he said this line to me. He said, uh, the methods that you uh, reach them with will be the methods that you'll have to keep them with. Mm. And I thought, oh, man. And his saying was, you know, if you're reaching them with um, the, the, you know, the, performance on the stage or this the slick sermon that you give the you know the wonderful slides that you're showing if, if that's what's attracting and drawing then you always have to keep doing that to keep mm. them coming mm-hmm. um and you know i think he was probably more right mm-hmm. than i gave him credit for i, I was mm-hmm. still kind of uh, operating in a lot of that mode and um so i think there's something to it that that as pastors, sometimes we get frustrated when people don't take their faith more seriously. 
And yet I think we create the environments for people where they don't have to necessarily. You know? yeah. So we kind of have to take some responsibility as leaders that maybe we're getting the spiritual product that we um, are producing and it's not just their problem that maybe we have a part in that too. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we kind of talked about that a couple weeks ago when it says, you know, um, uh, there's people in third world countries who have to rely on Jesus for their basic needs, for their water, for their food, for, you know, their, I mean, they have, they have to, but like, we don't have to, we have everything. So we're kind of sitting in this comfortable position where we really don't like have to rely on Jesus for things that we immediately need day to day. And right. there's, I mean, obviously that, that shows cause there's that disconnect. Like we kind of talked about, I love this line right here. It says, honestly, what is it that gets people in your church stirred up for change? Mm. And I think that's, I mean, what is it? Mm-hmm. I mean, back in, and Mike has a kind of a different view too, which is cool because Kate and I are kind of back in the, since we lead a high school group, we're kind of back in the high school ministry a lot. <laughs> and so we're kind of, not that we're detached from the front. We just, we're never really in the, where the main service is, where all the adults are. The big service. The big service. Yeah. I still call it that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big church. Is Big church. Big yeah, church. Right. Yeah. Um, but there is a disconnect there mm-hmm. that, you know, we need to I think it, we've talked about this a lot, too, as, like, even as small group church leaders and you as, like, a lead pastor, you know, always checking our intentions behind what we're doing. And he says here, the answer to these questions might just show us whether our church exists to please God or please people or whether God is leading our church or we are. And I think that's a really um, interesting thing to check on constantly as, you know, leading our as leaders in a church or just members of a church is what are our intentions? Like when we come here, are we trying to please each other? Or are we really trying to lead, lead a life that's, that's pleasing to God? So Yeah, yeah. I, I think as a pastor, you know, that's a, there's this fine line between wanting to serve people and wanting to please people. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea that he brings up a lot in this chapter is the idea of consumerism, so that people are coming with a consumer mentality. And, um, you know, I, I like to think about it as a, a sort of people like to pick and choose what they want. And they do that in all kind of things, whether it's music. You know, I was telling you, you know, when I was growing up, we, we would have to buy a whole CD or a whole album. But, you know, now you just download a single song or... Um, if you, you know, go out to eat, you can just pick off the buffet menu or you go to Starbucks and you can just, you know, pick the, the coffee to order that you want. You know, so mm-hmm. everything is customized for mm-hmm. your preference right mm-hmm. now. And so I think we have a generation or two that's been living that way and bringing that into the church world. And as pastors, I think we have uh, sort of accommodated that or allowed that to continue because then we just start providing things that people want or that seem relevant to them. And uh, But then the problem becomes, you know, people will take that as much as they want to, want to choose that one thing. Mm-hmm. But then if you're trying to offer them something that God commands that they don't want, they'll just choose no to that. And they have right. no problem choosing yes to something and no to and something else. And they think else. it's okay. And they too. think it's fine. Yeah, oh, yeah. They, they, they don't see any disconnect in choosing what they want about God and leaving what they don't want like mm-hmm. like it's just as long as they feel good as long as they feel good yeah 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 and that's and and like Mike mentioned earlier that's not just a church problem that's a that's a society that's problem. a culture yeah 
thing. And that just kind of bleeds into the churches because, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're a part of a society. And, you know, when you're a part of a church, it just kind of mm-hmm. bleeds its way in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it talks about here, Mark 7. I love this one verse. It's verse 8. It says, you have to let go of the command or you have you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to your human traditions. Mm-hmm. And I was reading something this past week that said people in the Bible, like the Pharisees or the lawmakers, were getting kind of mad, I guess, when people wouldn't wash their hands before they ate. And they're like, that's not something that God commanded of us. That's just a, tr- a tradition that's been upheld this whole entire time. And like, just because you think it's wrong doesn't mean it's you know not right i guess mm-hmm. yeah i forget the exact number but there's there's like you know there's the 10 commandments and then there's like 613 yeah, is that the number yeah, okay yeah. 613 you know applications of the 10 commandments essentially to that culture back then but then the between that and when jesus lived they added all kind of extra mm-hmm. regulations and, and rules that on they it, thought would be good that they thought would be good yeah and so it just got so far removed from what actually to your point, caked in on God's intentions. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny now because, you know, tradition in church, um, essentially I think what what Chan is really wrestling with is the tradition of not that long ago, but maybe like the 80s and 90s, like a way of doing church that happened then. And now that we're in soon to be 2020, there are still churches that are doing things a certain way, you know, 15, 20 years ago that maybe made sense for a generation then, but mm-hmm. uh, are not resonating anymore or, or are producing consumer Christians, which I think is probably an unintended byproduct. I don't mm-hmm. know that, I don't think anybody ever intended to produce, say, shallow Christians or people who just pick and choose, but that is kind of where we are today. So, so what is a different way of doing church that's uh, more holistic and integrated and gives people a desire to uh, really be devoted to God and everything he commands us to, not just pick and choose, you know, different, mm. different pieces. I love that idea of, um, like, as a church, learning how to meet people where they are, but also not straying from God's commands, you know, like Mm -hmm. kind of like move with the culture and the way that people are thinking and the way that culture influences us as individuals, but also not straying from the commands of the Bible and like learning how to have a marriage between that is, is a tricky thing, especially now. And I think that's why you were kind of talking about before we started this, this book is so resonant right now is because it kind of addresses that loophole where we need to be, you know. I, he's definitely pressing into that, and uh, I think there's a lot of people saying we're, we want something different. And I think we're not quite sure exactly what that looks like, but we know some of the foundations, like in this chapter, what some of the basics are that God's commanded us to, like the Acts 2 community, and we can talk about those things. Um, but I think we're, we're still kind of trying to flesh it out. You know, What does this mm-hmm. new model of being the church look like? Um, it, we think it probably looks a little bit more like the Acts chapter 2 church. Um, but uh, as far as in our day and age and culture, you know, what does that look like when we actually come together on Sunday? Right. Uh, or when we gather and then scatter through the week? I think, I think we're still kind of wrestling with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love how uh, from that commands versus expectation, it goes into what works. And so, like, what works in a church community, and it kind of goes to that Acts chapter 2 church that you were just referring to, and, you know, what they did together. But 
I love how it talks about Paul. And oh, I love Paul. I love Paul. <laughs> Listen. It talks about how um, Paul actually limited his words because he didn't want to diminish the cross of its power. He was kind of, he wasn't trying to be, you know, like cunning with his words or he wasn't trying to embellish anything. Like he didn't, he was trying to, you know, be lax on his words so that he could give the spirit room to move and to be, you know, super dominant in that. Mm-hmm. And Mike shared a story with us before. Yeah. <laughs> before we started, which was super cool. Yeah, as someone who you know l- likes to talk or feels like you know God uses my words uh, in a message, so that that hits home with me. Um, but this just this past weekend, I had an experience where uh, I, I really was kind of off my game on Sunday, and literally I was not not feeling well. I'm a type one diabetic, and the insulin pump that I'm uh, using now the insulin, I didn't realize this, but was basically expired, so it, it wasn't working, and I I couldn't figure out why my my blood sugar was so high. But I should be like <clears throat> sugar should be right around a hundred. It was more like two hundred and fifty or three hundred on Sunday, so I was like real fuzzy in the head. Mm. So <laughs> at Calvary here we have uh, three services, but after the first one, uh, I would I sat down. I was just like, man, that was like the worst sermon ever. Like I was just <laughs> off my game. You know, I just didn't say things the right way I just I didn't feel right and um and I, I wasn't really all, all that good <laughs> um but I just thought it was really fascinating because this week I've had three different people come up to me and just say how significant that message was because it was about essentially Christ being at the center and one, one gentleman in particular uh we went to lunch and he had some serious um disobedience in his life and it was probably the most repentant uh, person that I have had a one-on-one conversation with since I've been here in in Kentucky over the wow. last five years so mm-hmm. I think of all the messages that I've given mm-hmm. uh, you know a bunch you know for five years uh, and what I feel like was my worst personal eloquence <laughs> yeah. God used and maybe the most powerful impactful mm-hmm. way so I just think it's a good reminder that you know, God uses our words. He gives us words, but um, my words can't change anybody's life. My my eloquence doesn't do that. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can, mm-hmm. can do it. Kind of like the farmer and the seed, like you were saying mm-hmm. earlier. You know? yes. I love that. I love that. I love this idea that, like, we can't manufacture ourselves God's Spirit. Like, yes. it's going to... His Spirit is going to do what it's going to do, and it's going to do only what it can do, no matter if we out of this fancy words and these poetic things, you know, like, obviously, like, what you, the story you just said, that all of that is important in, it, in its way, but, you know what I mean, like, the Spirit, if you give it room to move, it's going to move the way it's going to. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I guess, you know, can God use fancy things? Sure. Right. Does God need fancy things? No. Mm-hmm. You know, can we do, can we be the church without fancy things? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um is it always wrong to have them? I don't know. Maybe it's not wrong, but if we're if we are overly dependent upon them, or thinking that those are the things that are changing mm-hmm. people, or that we can't do ministry or can't be who He's called us to unless we have all the gadgets and whistles and you know uh, hazers and what whatever mm-hmm. we need, uh, that's probably our trust is in the wrong things. I think at that point, mm-hmm. and and if we have our trust in the right place, then. It takes a lot of pressure off us, you know. We're, mm-hmm. we're not, it's not as dependent upon us as humans to change people's lives or keep them at church and right. those kind mm-hmm. of things. So I think there's that's that's a healthy perspective for us mm-hmm. to have. When I went on my, this is kind of going back to that 
farmer metaphor that I love. Yeah, right. I might have already talked about this on here before, but that's right. Oh, Sunday. Farmer Cajun. Oh, my gosh. If you know me, that is so not like me, but I'm trying really hard to be that. Um, But anyways, when we were, when I went on, I went on an extended mission trip, and I remember feeling like this, like you were talking about a pressure. Yeah. um, Kind of on, and it was totally self-inflicted, but I felt this pressure to like, when we were going out and doing things that I like, had to see people change. Like I had to see this miraculous, like people overcome with what I was saying. I, I, me, me, you know? And, um, and if I didn't see that, I kind of got disappointed. And I felt all this pressure to see people really have this radical change. And I remember reading this uh, metaphor or this parable in the Bible and talking, it basically says, you know, like the farmer <laughs> can plant a seed and it can water it and weed it and, do all the things a farmer does, but like the mystery of growth, the farmer can't make the seed grow. That's right. And I remember hearing that and thinking, you know, it's not, that's not my job. My job is just to do what God commands and then he does the rest. Yeah. And when it, when you kind of live your life on that path, it, it takes away a lot of the pressure and kind of, that's why I love this book because it's so convicting on a, on a church level and also on an individual level as well. So. Yeah. And it's not like we were, Kate and I were kind of talking about this last night. It's not that we're like, taking this book and like pointing all the bad things in the church and the mm-hmm. community. We just like, we're, we just see the potential. It kind of mm-hmm. gives us that like view of potential of like what it could be. Using you know? this book to, to be excited about the potential rather than being mm. like, this is everything we're doing wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a super <clears throat> good point um, because, and, and I don't know if you've done the um, small group video series that goes along with it, but he's, mm. he's pretty careful to, caution people against negative criticism and tearing down church leaders and those kind right. of things, you know, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I appreciated that. Um, I, I, and I think that he is trying to uh, paint a picture, a vision of, of a different way. And I think even he talks about in the book that, you know, when he left his church, he, he knew there was a different way. He just wasn't quite sure how to get there. Um, and so I think that's what we're talking about is how could we move in that direction? How could we grow up like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to look different. We're not going to learn that by looking back over the last you know, 10 years. We're going to have to look, look forward and maybe all the way back right, to what God actually says in his word as those, those kind of standards. And how could we bring that into our generation? And, um, was this the part where he talked about the Acts 2 church and the, this, the simple things like scripture, praying mm-hmm. to Was that this mm-hmm. section? Yes. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I, I thought it was pretty interesting that we were, Caitlin, we were just in a, a planning meeting on third, on we Tuesday. Were. My to talk first, about my first planning first meeting. First one, it was awesome <laughs> having you, yeah. Good input. And, um, and we were talking about, you know, what, what are the elements or the experience of the service that, you know, we could use to sort of measure... Uh, whether we were on track for a, a worship service, you mm-hmm. know, if it's not necessarily about attendance or the lights or the, you know, the the eloquence of the sermon, what what does matter, right? And so then we got back to the basics of, you know, it, are we um, is there time in scripture? Are we actually praying together? Like, is there time in the service? And that was probably the one that I think we maybe have skipped over the most. Is there maybe a person who says a prayer, but I don't think we've been praying together in mm-hmm. the larger service. So we're actually going to be doing that this Sunday. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the joy of being together, like, is it so programmed that when we come in uh, and maybe it's dark and you sit in your seat and you sing some songs and then you listen to a person on stage, and then you walk out, but you've never actually like 
talk to anybody. You never actually made mm-hmm. a human connection mm-hmm. in the service, right? So is there a, a real fellowship like they had in Acts 2? And then uh, the Lord's Supper was, was the other one. And, of course, at Calvary, we have a tradition where we, we do that every Sunday. But, you know, providing meaning uh, into the Lord's Supper and making it a meaningful experience. Uh, and I love how Jesus gives us the kind of all of our senses. So the Lord's Supper is a taste. You know, you taste the bread, you taste the cup. And um, when you're wanting to shape culture, if you can get into every, the, the full spectrum of senses that we have as a, as a human, mm-hmm. I think Jesus understood that if you could taste something, you know, that would do something to remind you of what he had done. So I thought, I always think that's cool. But, yeah. you know, that that's, that's a central piece to, to what we do. So those and a few other things. But th- those were actually in our quote-unquote measures of you know how did we do in creating those experiences for people mm-hmm. uh, and those really come right out of Acts chapter 2 so I, I felt good about that that you know yeah. we, we were kind of moving that direction right mm-hmm. and, and then week to week saying how did we do with that you know what kind of uh, environment did we create is it based on those commands not necessarily the other stuff that we have mm-hmm. maybe right. thought the programming side of a Sunday morning service you know? and I love how in that Acts chapter 2, it lists all of those things, and it kind of finishes it with, you know, they receive that with glad and generous hearts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like a lot of times maybe people come into church and they it's just a checklist kind of thing. You know, they come in and they are like, oh, well, I was here. Check, and you're gone, you know, and then it's just like that disconnect throughout the week. But, like, what would it look like, you know, if we were all... And I feel like that's kind of what creates that like-mindedness within a church. You know, when we're all giving with glad and sincere hearts. And it talks about how they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any needed. And I just think it's it's such an interesting subject, you know? Well, well, there's a definite difference in going to church and being the church. And I think we have had uh, generations of people who said, you need to go to church. You need Mm -hmm. to, you know, are you going to church? It's Sunday. You need to go to church. Or you're going to church. Come on, you know. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I mean, God calls us to gather together as the church. And so that's the shift that I want us to really become more of is it's much more about the, the relationships that we have together. I mean, Acts chapter 2, we were talking about, is the way they related to one another. They're sharing mm-hmm. their life together, right? Um, they're all devoted. They're dev- that's the big word, right? Devoted, devoted. Yeah. And that's a, that's a commitment to Christ and a commitment to God's commands and a commitment to one another that's way deeper than consumerism, way mm-hmm. deeper than I just pick and choose what I want. There, there's something that's bigger than me that I am a part of, and I'm committed to that. I'm committed to play my part in that, but I'm not here to just take from it. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a mutual give and, and receiving on that. So, I love that reciprocal. Yeah, I love that word. It's a good idea. <clears throat> and and uh, one another is the way that he says that so often. Paul, your favorite guy, Paul. Your <laughs> <laughs> man, Paul. Your <laughs> man, Paul. One another. You know, mm. Christianity is not mm. a one-way street like that. In, in the mm. church, it's reciprocal. Uh, and, and, and I think all human healthy relationships like that are, are reciprocal. That, you know, when I need help, I receive. I'm willing, I'm humble enough to receive. From mm-hmm. you. Not say that I'm too good, I don't ever need help. Uh, when you need help, I'm willing to reach out a hand and... And, and give that help. And, and at different times and different seasons, we're going to need each other in different ways. Or my skill sets will be helpful to you, or, or I'll need your skill set. You know, 
Um, that's why the body is so important. So the whole mm-hmm. picture of a body, a, a team, a, a group of people working together, all of that is so much bigger than me and what I want and what I'm going to get out of today. And mm-hmm. if I don't like it, I'm going to go somewhere else. And then right. I'm gonna, I mean, that's that's so foreign to the New Testament idea of what the church is. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the real shift, shift from going to church as a consumer and being the church as a community. That. Yeah. And and I think that's what we're trying to flesh that out. So, so right. how do we realize that? How does that tangibly happen, and how can we grow in that way? You know, right. I feel like it's kind of one of those things that if you're just going to church, then throughout the week you're not. You know, you have to. A relationship with God isn't just on Sunday, and it's not just on Wednesday. Obviously, you know, we all know that, but you can't go into church on Sunday expecting all of these things to happen. You know, you have to make sure that your heart is in the right position because like you said, you're not going to take, take, take. Like there are people there that you need to give yourself to as well. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, I mean, even myself, sometimes I go in, I'm like, oh, well, you know, like I definitely needed to hear this today. But like, where's my heart at when I'm going into the service? Mm -hmm. And I just think it's just goes back to going to church and being the church. Yeah. You know, are we, are we being the church? And people who are going to church realizing, like, like why is, you know, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, like, one of my main things from this chapter, one of my main takeaways was, you know, we have talked about adding all of this stuff into sermons and trying to entertain people to bring them. And, like, my main thing is, like, why is the gospel not attractive anymore? It talks about in this book that a guy from India, he says people were just so excited over in India just to get together to pray. Mm-hmm. And they're so excited to get together and do communion. And, like, it's it's hard. Like, I've preached a sermon back mm-hmm. in SML before. And, like, you can tell. You can, up on stage, you look at people and their eyes are just glazing away. And you're like, <laughs> why are you here? Like, why are you here if you're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, it just... I don't know. It's just frustrating. I'm just, there's a lady, her name's Tasha Cobbs. And she's awesome. Listen, every time she leads worship, she has a towel every single time because she sweats so much. And she's dancing so much. <laughs> I love it. And I was like, why can like, why can't SML be like that? Like, why can't we all come in with this like gumption mm-hmm. that we're like, blah, you know, mm-hmm. with towels. Is gumption a Kentucky word, do you think? Oh, I don't know. You know, I don't know either. I didn't think so. I don't know. It just kind of came out. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Like this idea that we, like, is Jesus really enough to the point where, you know, we feel the need or we feel obligated to add all the stuff because if it's not there, then we don't think that maybe that he will show up or that he will be enough. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, as humans, we feel like we have to add all of our own um, decorations to yeah. things to make it more attractive because I think maybe the root of that is we feel like uh, it's just Jesus isn't enough for us or something you know and I feel like mm. it's become unattractive kind of like you said or just without all the bells and whistles that we add all these decorations um, is it if we, we just came and gathered and we just preached the word like would that be enough for us you know mm-hmm. that kind of idea that's an interesting thought and <clears throat> maybe for this generation, that means that uh, a bit removing those other things who, that could be, perhaps, maybe at, for one generation they were um, uh, increasing relevance, but it seems now that they're kind of an ongoing distraction from what is needed. So, so maybe some stripping away of those mm-hmm. at, 
this point is, is needed. Yeah, distraction, mm-hmm. removing those and and the um, the simplification of what we do when we're together and the the, the more personal connection. I, someone said <clears throat> that um, you know the when people would come to church before the uh, first connection they would make is was in your lobby and that would be like the first place where people would meet you. And a lot of times people would come and would want to kind of sit back and not uh, be engaged because they were new or just kind of checking things out. But now with social media, by the time someone shows up on a Sunday, they probably have already checked out mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. maybe watched your Facebook Live, definitely been on your website. The fact that they're there means they're looking for a connection. They mm-hmm. want to meet with God. They want to have human touch experience. So... I feel uh, as a pastor a desire to accelerate and create that uh, experience for people much more quickly right now um, and instead of you know letting them sit back or sort of enjoy the show for a little bit that they are you know immediately placed into an encounter where oh my goodness God was here today mm-hmm. and I met with other people that are devoted to him and we prayed together, you know, that there, that you sort of accelerate that um, r- real connection with God and one another. I think that's a, a call for us to find ways and create spaces. We can't manufacture that, but I do think we can create spaces that were in freedom where God can step into that and, and move in those times and mm-hmm. allowing that or, you know, expecting that and providing opportunities for that. And, and kind of watching him go to work is, yeah. is kind of where I'm thinking that we're, just in my own mind as I think about what would we do differently on a Sunday morning when we gather than we, maybe we've done in the last 10 years. Th- those are the kind of things that, that mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that word expectant that you used. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's like such a power in expectancy, you know, like, like, expectant that God is going to move, expectant that God is going to show up. And I feel like that kind of plays into that question, like, because we, sometimes I think we question that, like we question yeah. whether whether or not God is really going to show up, so we feel the need to kind of put ourselves into it. But like walking into a service and knowing like God is going to show up today, or even mm-hmm. as like an individual, not necessarily like from a leadership standpoint, like walking into church and being like, God is going to show up today, and yeah, I'm expecting like that. Preparation. Yes, I'm expecting that He's going to show up, and I th- I feel like when we approach things with that kind of headspace, it it makes the gospel more attractive because then it mm-hmm. alleviates pressure. Or like that. you know what I mean. Well, just to reinforce <laughs> what you're saying, I was thinking about that at Christmas time in particular because you know in the in the gospels, like in Luke, when it talks about when Jesus was first born, that there are some people who were expecting, some people who were awaiting. Some people who are longing for the deliverer to come, and those are the ones that God revealed to them that gee, the Messiah was here, mm-hmm. like Anna or Simeon. You know these people, mm-hmm. uh, and they were waiting for that. They were expectant, right? Mm-hmm. Then there are people like Herod in the same story, you know, same area, but he's all consumed with himself, and he's not waiting or looking for anyone else, and so he missed Christmas. He didn't even know. The Messiah was born, and then when he found out, he was upset because it was going to take away from his power, his mm-hmm. what he wanted to do. You know, mm-hmm. so I do think there's something to uh, our everyday experience with Christ. Is are we expectant of Him 
And God uses that, it seems, to make him known to us. And if we're not really interested or not really looking for, you know, I'm not saying God won't get our attention, uh, but I think we'll miss him. We'll mm-hmm. miss his activity. He'll be right there. We may we may miss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like all about where our perspective is. I think that's Are we looking too close or are we zooming out to kind of see the bigger picture? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, these podcasts go by so fast. How long have we been talking? 40 minutes. Oh, that's pretty good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 40 minutes. It, this seems like it never flash. seems like that long. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to share this Acts verse. I just want to read it all the way through. We always have a verse of the week, and mm-hmm. I kind of just wanted to read this all the way through. It's a couple verses. Um, but just kind of going back to the basics, you know, like what does the Bible say about what we need to be doing when we meet together? Mm -hmm. Um, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Hmm. I just love that. It kind of just sums up. It does. You know, it just puts a little cherry puts on it. a little bow on it for yeah, Christmas. It <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike, do you have any other, anything else that you wanted to add or any final takeaways or... Mm-hmm. No, I just, uh, I, I really thank you for letting me come on. I, I'm really uh, hopeful and optimistic about the church because of people like you all who are mm-hmm. just, um, you are expectant and you are being the church for one another and you are doing it in community and you're not uh, a consumer that's taking, you are giving, you're investing in our young people, our middle school and high schoolers. Um, you're creating spaces for them to really encounter God. They're coming and praying with you while after a communion on Sunday. You know, so um, to me, when I see you all in the ministry that you're doing, it just uh, gets me so excited for what God has. And um, and I, you know, in, in many ways, I feel like this is an opportunity for me to hear and see what how God's moving and to come and support that. So I'm, I'm really thankful mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Well, thank you. Well, thank you yeah. for coming. Yes, yeah. uh, this has been a fun little time. It has. Cool. Um, so, do you have any takeaways? Anything you want to add? I think that what he said was awesome. the extra bow on top of the, the bow. The extra bow on top. Double bow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, at the very end, we always go, "Thanks for having us on," and then we all go Sundays at seven together. So you have to do it with us because you're a guest. Okay, sounds great. <laughs> so we're so glad you all could join us today. <laughs> um, we are so glad that we have viewers. We're not viewers. We have listeners. We actually didn't record on Sunday this week. And Kate was like, is that a bad thing? And I was like, well, kind of, but not really because we'll see who actually listens, you know, because I'll text us. And we actually got text messages. We got text messages. That's so exciting. Yeah. That's called the takeaway. When you take it away and then you see, did they really miss Mm -hmm. it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) that's so true. That's true. It was actually all planned. No, it wasn't. Um, But thank you, Mike, for coming. And thank you to our listeners for listening. We will catch you next week on... Sundays at (laughs) 7.